Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Thank you. Well, I want to go back a little bit about this, um, why we drink, because of the effect produced by alcohol. And I, this is the doctor writing this, and uh, he was a non-alcoholic. That's why he wrote, like the effect. I loved the effect that alcohol gave me. And the sensation is so elusive you know, that I wanted to reach that place where I was <coughs> really fine, you know. But I couldn't, as the uh, sickness progressed, I couldn't reach that place. So I, I was always trying to get there, get to that place. And it's so elusive. And that I cannot differentiate the truth from the false is because I, when I'm trying to be sober, I am restless, irritable, and discontent. And I cannot, just before I take that first drink, I cannot differentiate the truth from the false, because then I, I can only remember what the drink does for me. And I cannot just then, remember the consequences that I had, maybe only three days ago, two days ago, a week ago. I cannot remember. It's the, it's the, it's the reptile brain coming, you know. <laughs> I just have to have something. I didn't drink to get drunk. I drank to get right. And that's why the alcoholic life got to be the only normal one for me and the circle and I drank and the allergy kicked in and I woke up again remorseful you know and then I got restless irritable and discontent again and it built up and I couldn't see the truth and I thought I could take only a few and that's how it goes over and over and over again and I think this is so important, uh, this condition, this internal condition that I was in, that I was never okay without alcohol. And when I heard that with my second sponsor, that you are never okay without alcohol in your bloodstream, then I started to understand what alcoholism is and that I treated this condition with alcohol. Alcohol was my solution to this condition, my only solution. And it's a mental illness that I have that I cannot see the truth about what alcohol does against me just before I take the first drink. I can only just then remember what it does for me. I have to get right. I have to come away from this condition. And that is alcoholism. I treat my condition with alcohol. And I think that is very, very important. And if you go to 
page 52, how does this condition manifest, if you like, in me? And I have to ask myself these questions. And I, this is sort of a checklist for me. And I use this today. Where am I today with this? Because this is untreated alcoholism. Restless, irritable discontent. And the, the, these questions, I have to ask myself, where am I today with this? So I, I had to ask myself why I shouldn't apply my human problems this same readiness to change my point of view. Am I having trouble with personal relationships? Am I? Am I having trouble with personal relationships? That's everybody. That's not just the, my significant others. That's the people I work with, with my parents, with my friends, with everybody. Personal relationships. doesn't say love relationships. I had trouble with that, wasn't it? But it's all the other people too. Can I control my emotional natures? That means I'm up and down all the time. I'm happy one moment, I'm sad, I get these crying jags, I get miserable, I get... Nothing stays the same. I'm not happy, joyous and free. Am I a prey to misery and depression? Prey. Gazelles are prey to lions. Gazelles walking wrong, quite happy. Next thing, wham, lion. <laughs> prey. I'm walking along, wham. Mm. Nothing's. N mm. <laughs> Suddenly, you see, it's sudden. Prey. Can I make a living? I mean, I can have a job, but am I happy and content at my work? What do I do with the money I earn? <laughs> we don't always drink it away. Sometimes we gamble it away. A lot of gamblers in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. It's quite exciting, apparently. I, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones that didn't get, get taken down that road. Apparently, it's quite, quite exciting. And we sense that, get that sense of ease and comfort. I was a great spender, I still am sometimes. Sense of ease and comfort. Do I have a feeling of uselessness? Not all the time. Generally between drinks. <laughs> am I full of fear? Oh yeah. <laughs> am I un unhappy? Can, does it seem I can be of real help, real help to other people? Well, frankly, I didn't care. <laughs> Wasn't the basic solution of these bedevilments more important than anything else I have written here? Yeah. Of course it was. Yeah. Because if I can't have a Happy and joyous sobriety, I won't stay sober. I won't stay sober. And I have to treat this condition. The, re the, reason, we use, the reason we use this as a checklist 
from my experience is if I live in these bedevilments long enough, it will take me back to page 28 in the Roman numerals, where I am irritable, restless, and discontent. And if I live irritable, restless, and discontent long enough on page 28, I get to page 29 in the Roman numerals, and I start to think about the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once from taking a few drinks. Drinks that I see other people taking with impunity, meaning without harm. They can, why can't I? Delusion. Hmm. And it describes this, this once they have, they once, on page 29 in the Roman numerals, it, it, it describes how we succumb again, yet again, to this desire to drink. Desire is in the, in the mind, not the body. That once we start to drink, the allergy takes over. We go through the well-known stages of a spree. Whatever, that, whatever your experience of that is. I know what my experience of that is. And we emerge, like we've been someplace else, we emerge, come out of it, remorseful. I'm never going to do that again. How many times did I promise, promise everybody that I wasn't going to do that again? Everybody from my parents to my, to, my, to my wife to whatever. My boss, I'll never do that again. A few weeks later I'm doing it again and they said, oh, you promised. And I said, yeah, I did. And that took me to suicide, three attempts at suicide because I kept on promising, I kept on breaking my promises but I meant it. And if anybody, I hear anybody saying somebody's gone out and drank again, they didn't want it enough Rubbish. If you got enough, if you got enough cojones to walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and say, I need help, but please say, I need help, because if you don't say, I need help, we might not help you. You really got to say, please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a joke. <laughs> but you've got enough, you've got enough guts to walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous into a whole bunch of people that you've never seen before in your life. Uh, you, you want help. You're not, you're not visiting Alcoholics Anonymous for fun. This isn't, it's not that sort of place we go for social deal. You know, you want it enough. Did you get the solution? That's that bit about I am responsible. Did you get the solution when you walked into Alcoholics Anonymous? There are many meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous you walk into and they just say keep coming back. I will read this. Please. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, the longing, the mental longing, as so many do, and the phenomena of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. And this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And an entire psychic change is what we have in a spiritual awakening. And that is a total change in the way I think and the way I feel. 
Okay, let's. Um, should we should we move on yes. into into there is a solution? There's two chapters now, chapter two and chapter three. There is a solution and more about alcoholism. In there is a solution, they tell us a heck of a lot about alcoholism. Mm -hmm. They take a while to get to the solution. The solution is like one paragraph. And they, this is where they talk about the captain's table and the, and this this this. Uh, the, the ship sinking. When this book was published, the Titanic was still a big story, even though it had happened several uh, decades before, 1912, I think it was, the, uh, the Titanic. Uh, but it was still a big story. And they talk about the, the, this, this idea that, that we're wrecked in the same vessel, we're wrecked in the same ship. That's only one part of our solution. They talk about this common solution, and they're going to describe the common solution. And they talk about, on, on, on page 20, they talk about the three kinds of drinkers in here. And I think it's important that we check out these three kinds of drinkers. That there's three kinds of drinkers here. There's more in the, in the, in the chapter to wives, actually. They, they actually classify alcoholics really beautifully. The chapter to wives got a fabulous section on classifying alcoholics, type, the various types of alcoholics. Wonderful. But this one here, it says, bottom of page 20, it says moderate drinkers have little trouble giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it they can take it and leave it alone my brother Margaret the sister take it and leave it alone I'll drink today or I won't the math then it says we have a certain type of hard drinker it's my buddy Fred he may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically you drink too much it's going to damage you physically and mentally it may cause him to die a few years before his time if sufficient strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of doctor becomes operative, or going to jail, or wrecking your car, losing your job, sufficient reason to stop. This man can also stop, or the magic trick, moderate. That means that he can change from drinking all night to go into a bar and I'll have, I'll have a whiskey and soda or whatever, drink it, put it down and say, I've had enough, I'm going home. That's what moderate means. I don't know what it means. I, I've never experienced that, ever, in my drinking. Ever. Not even from the very first one. I don't know what I don't know how to do moderate. But it's a trick and if you can pull it off have have a great life. You don't need to be an alcoholics anonymous. Have a great life. It says and it happened to my buddy Fred. He fell in love. His wife said, "We don't like you hanging out with that Peter Misson guy. He drinks too much. You come home drunk. I don't like you drunk. Don't do it anymore." He said, "Okay, my love, I won't." And he didn't. My wife said the same thing to me and I kept on doing it. <laughs> I didn't know why until somebody showed me what was in here. But does say he may, he may find it difficult and troublesome, may even need medical attention. He may need to be detoxed because alcohol is a poison. That's interesting, isn't it? But what about the real alcoholic? I'm a real alcoholic. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but 
but it, 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 it talks about stuff, and it talks about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, that was written by Robert Louis Stevenson. Robert Louis Stevenson died of the effects produced by alcohol, cirrhosis of the liver and God knows what else. And if you see paintings and photographs of Robert Louis Stevenson, he looks like one of us. He's a skinny dude. He don't eat. And he's got this droopy mustache and he doesn't look very, doesn't look very happy. You know, um, he's a real alcoholic, I believe. And what, he, what we believe, what people believe he was doing was, you see, Dr. Jekyll drinks something and changes into Mr. Hyde. And they, people think that he was trying to relay his experience with alcohol by writing a story. But it talks about being insanely drunk, dangerously antisocial. It talks about being well-balanced. I question that as far as I was concerned. Well-balanced when I'm not drinking? Uh-uh. <laughs> and they, they talk about, in, in, from uh, page 21 through, to, through the halfway down page 22, they're talking about the progression. Because from he may start off as a moderate drinker, may end up being a heavy drinker. But right at the end here, it says, as matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his nerves. You can change that into Prozac, Xanax, Librium, Valium. We don't use sedatives anymore. Because sedatives were so much like alcohol that, that it was solid alcohol for us. I'm not going to make any comment about prescription drugs. I'm not a doctor. And then he says, perhaps he goes to the doctor and gives him morphine. So we now got a morphine addict. Morphine is, is, is addictive. It is a, it's, a, it's an opiate. Be careful of codeine. Be careful of medications that contain codeine. Codeine is an opium derivative. We, don't, we, we like that stuff. And then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. And the progression, it's Bill's story all over again. They keep on telling us this. You see, the way the book is laid out is that they tell us about the problem. And they, they, almost every chapter tells us about the problem first. Then they tell us about the solution. And then they tell us what will happen when we take the solution. But they always give us the bad news first. The first 52 pages of this book, bad news. There is no hope. Page 23. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. From here onwards in the big book, we are not going to talk about the allergy to alcohol or our reaction to alcohol anymore. The doctor says, in the doctor's opinion, the only solution we have to offer to someone who has an allergy to alcohol is entire abstinence. You have an allergy to alcohol? Don't drink. Cool. <laughs> if I didn't have the obsession of the mind, it would be fine. Just like I am with, it, with, with, with yogurt. I don't eat yogurt. I have an allergy. I don't eat yogurt. I occasionally do by mistake because I don't know what's in the food. 
and then I get the allergy, which is very itchy skin. But I don't seek it out. I used to break out. I used to break out in all sorts of stuff when I when I was drinking, but mostly out of relationships, out of jobs, out of cars, out of whatever. So we're going to talk about the mind from here onwards. Page 23 is the changing point. Up to page 23, it's all about the body. After page 23, it's no longer about the body, it's now about this. And we start to learn about what we do and how we do it. And how we get back to taking that first drink. You see, the most insane thing I ever did before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous was pick up a drink, Stone Cold Sober. It wasn't the consequences of my drinking that was insane or unmanageable. It was the fact that I couldn't manage the decision not to drink. The unmanageable part when I come to Alcoholics Anonymous is that I cannot manage the decision not to drink. The main problem centers in my mind. My mind will always take me back to a drink because I'm having trouble with personal relationships. Because... I can't control my emotional nature because I can't seem to make a living. Because, because, because. What's really interesting is that when we get to see, we will see as we go, the reason why we are like that. Please lay aside everything you think you know and have heard before. <laughs> Read the black parts in here. So, we get to page 24. Yep. Do you want to read the... Or shall I read it and you can comment? No, I can, I can read this. Okay. Um, the mind that I cannot... Keep the decision not to drink. Why I am powerless over the first drink. <clears throat> because my family always asks me, why do you drink when you know what's happening? Why do you drink when you know what always happens? And I had no answer. I didn't know. I was just going to have a few. You know, I couldn't differentiate the truth from the false just before I took up that first drink. And I have to understand this, that I have no defense against the first drink as an alcoholic. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive that I can use my willpower as my family thought I could. Use your willpower. Uh, get together. together. Pull, yourself, yeah, pull together. yourself together. The happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. Can I just stop you there? What does, yes. our, what does our, our third tradition say in the short form? It says that the only 
requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Okay, you can be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous with the desire to stop drinking, but that's just told you on page 24 that it's not going to do anything for your sobriety. You can be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but you will keep drinking. Because we have this powerful desire to stop, but it's of absolutely no avail. That means it does not work. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it's suspected. The fact is... This is in neon, remember? Mm -hmm. Neon lights. The fact is that most alcoholics... He's kind here. He's kind. For reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times, and I don't know when that, that certain time comes, to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force, with sufficient force, to stop me from picking up a drink, the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago, we are without defense against the first drink. So I think this explains as well why we have to do this work quickly. Because we are without defense against the first drink. I cannot remember. It men mentions a week here. How long does it take? How long does it take someone comes into Alcoholics Anonymous? How long does it take them to get the information that they need to work the steps? If they are like us, that they that we need an entire psychic change that the doctor said, which is a medical way of saying a spiritual awakening, an entire change in the way that we think. I can't bring that about by my thinking. An entire change in the way that we think in order to survive alcoholism. And that's just told us here that at a certain time, and I don't know what that looks like, I don't know when a certain time's going to show up, untreated, it could be tomorrow, it could be next week, it could be a month. They're saying we've got a week or a month of grace before our next time it shows up. We need to get into the work to get power quickly. And, and it says, it also says that, that, that there's, there's, we, we cannot bring it bring in, into our consciousness, our brain, our thinking, with sufficient force to stop me from picking up a drink. The, at certain times, I am without defense against the first drink. I don't know what that looks like. In my case, it took 15 years for it to show up after I had actually done the work in Alcoholics Anonymous, but it showed up. I didn't see it coming. And I had drink, I had alcohol in my hands. It wasn't for me, but, I, but, it, but it told me it was. I swear it said it out loud. You're feeling like crap. You might as well drink. Mm. That was a certain time and I didn't see it coming. And something kept me sober that night, but, but that's what a certain time is. And that was after being an Alcoholics Anonymous a, a long time and doing the work. But then I forgot to continue to do what I was supposed to do. And I started to get busy. Mm. So what we need is something that's going to 
bring into our consciousness with sufficient force, if you like, the memory and the suffering and humiliation of a week or a month ago. Now I'm going to just zip back to, to Bill's story. You don't have to go there. But if you read the first eight pages of Bill's story, he talks about times when he's gone into a cafe to phone and someone has pushed a drink that his way and he's taken it without a thought. Okay? He gets whatever he gets in the, in the hospital. He gets the last detox and whatever. He follows what the, the dictates of the Oxford group. He gets this awakening. He's in a hotel in Akron. He's broke. He's got $10 in his pocket. He's broke. He's, he's, he's in a lawsuit. He may be ruined for life. All his friends have left him. He can't even afford the train home. He is four and a half, maybe five, five and a half months sober. He's not managed to talk to another alcoholic successfully. They've all got drunk or carried on drinking. He's in a strange town. There's a bar at the end of the at the end of the of the, the lobby. He is being drawn towards it by his thinking. If you read it, I may be able to go in there and maybe strike up a uh, strike up a conversation. Maybe I shall have a ginger beer. Well, maybe I could have two drinks. Then he sees it. He sees the mental process that is taking him to a drink because he is spiritually fit. And he turns around. And he goes to a phone. And he starts to phone people to try and find another alcoholic to talk to because he knows that he will be set on his feet if he does. So he describes it that way. So he's no longer being ambushed by this. He can bring into his consciousness with sufficient force to stop him from picking up a drink because he's spiritually fit. You see, if, 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 just because I've, I've done the work and, I, and, and, and I'm doing the steps and I'm working with other people doesn't mean to say that I'm never going to have another thought of a drink. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> At certain times I'm going to have a thought of a drink. It's seeing it, if I'm spiritually fit, and seeing where it's going to take me, and saying, no, I can't do that, this is what I need to do, and we're given, we're given stuff to do by this program. See, it's not that I'm going to be totally immune to the thought of drinking. That one of these days, I'm going to have a thought to drink again. I hope I am, my responsibility is to be sufficiently fit, spiritually fit, that, that it doesn't, I don't actually follow through on that thought. I don't identify with that thought. I don't follow my thinking, which is what I did up until I up until and, and I'm 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 focusing on that because we're gonna to get to that when we get to step four. It's really interesting the way this works. Mm. Where do you want to go next? He he could see it because he, he had done the work and he had had the spiritual experience and he had God between he could see his, his sick thinking before he actually did anything. And he thanked God for giving him, him his sanity back. Yeah? They continue, they continue uh, into more about alcoholism. And more about alcoholism, they're talking about, in, in the chapter more about alcoholism, they're talking about the mental state that precedes the first drink. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing and, and whatever because we don't have the time. But in, in more about alcoholism, 
there are several stories. The first one is a man of 30. Okay, we don't know who he is. And this guy sounds like an alcoholic because on page 32 it says, once he started, he had no control whatsoever. He's got the allergy. He recognizes he's got the allergy. What does he do? He made up his mind that until that little word <laughs> that we miss. You see, I could read that, wasn't it? It said, sort of, they made up his mind that until he'd been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. But wait a minute, what did he just say? He said that until two conditions, I have retired and been successful in business. He wasn't going to touch another drop. Okay, so that means he says, I am going to drink again when? That's a state of mind. It's called conditional sobriety. I pulled it off for three months once. This guy pulls it off for 25 years. This guy is exceptional. They say he's exceptional. But I got a feeling that if he hadn't have been successful in business, he'd have been drinking a long time before that. Because that's one of the conditions. I don't know what this guy was uh, like to be around when he was 25 years dry. <coughs> he was driven. I suspect the reason why he was so successful in business was that he was driven to be successful in business. And he managed to do it 25, 25, 25 years. Bone dry, they call it. Tinder dry. This guy's so dry his fire hasn't Then it says he, 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 he fell victim to the delusion that he could drink like he could before. Out comes his carpet slippers, out comes a bottle of whiskey. Wham, he's in the hospital within three weeks. That didn't happen to him before. It's got worse. Even when he's not drinking. If I picked up a drink now, 30, 30 years down the line, from the time I was drinking, I, wouldn't, I, 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 I would maybe, if I was in the delusion, expect it to be like it was before I stopped. Not anymore. I understand now that my body has aged and my capacity to metabolize alcohol is depleted. I would be worse immediately. And that's what happens to us every time we go back after a period of time. It's worse, it's worse, it's worse. Mm. So, and they call it, on page 33, a peculiar mental twist. Mental The baffling feature of alcoholism on page 34. The utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity of the wish. They've just reminded us of page 24. Mm. The next story, guy called Jim. Car salesman. Whichever way you read Jim, by the time you get to page 36, it says... This is his story. Okay? This is Jim's words. This isn't the description of what happened to Jim. This is Jim's story. <laughs> We've got to read what the black bit said. This is his story. This is his alibi. See how many times, if you just read it through and underline, we, no, I won't read it through, but when you read it through, see how many times, underline, see how many times he's justifying going into that bar. I've eaten in there many times. I'm just going to go and sell a car. 
I was hungry. I've been in there over the years. If he's been in there that many times, he's been drinking in there. He also, this is the seventh time that he's relapsed. The alcoholic still worked with him. Just because somebody relapses doesn't mean to say we've got to sideline them. We go back and 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 we go back. But, but, in order to get this, we've got to be done. We've got to be done. Finished. Absolutely understand at a gut level that no matter what I do with this, I will always be taken back to a drink. And that's the whole point of this chapter. In his story, we find that he has a resentment. He's had a few words with the boss. Did you ever say that? Story? I've had a few words with the boss. I've just had a blazing row. You see, Jim is a salesman for a company that he used to own. He inherited it from his father. I can feel the resentment building already. This guy that now owns this business can't run it like I used to. And I'm only a salesman. I'm not a manager or anything like that. I'm just a salesman for this business that I used to own and I could run this better than he can. And he has a few words for the boss. And then he drives out into the country to sell a car. I can smell burning rubber. That's how I used to drive when I was angry. I'll show them smoke burning rubber. And he's driving along and he's pounding on the steering wheel and he sees the, he sees the bar coming up. I'll just slip into there and get some vicarious pleasure out of being in the company of people that I know. And I'll have a meal while I'm there. And I know, I knew very early on that people told me that if I drank on a full stomach I wouldn't get drunk. And I know very I mean, I used to even pour the oil out of, out of sardine cans and drink that before I went drinking. And it's horrible. Yeah, it is horrible. What, what happens is that all night you're repeating sardines. <laughs> but you've got to try it. <laughs> so this guy, this guy, and, he, and in italics in here, suddenly the thought comes. You see, there's a certain time in Jim's story, suddenly the thought comes. Now, I believe that this guy has a resentment. So there's a state of mind. Now, it may be that the other people say, oh, no, no, he's not setting himself up for a drink. But I think he has a resentment. The description of what his story said, which is his alibi, if you like, for, for why he went to drink, is sufficient for me to, uh, to think that he has, an, he has a, a resentment. I can feel it when I, when I really think about it. I can feel that resentment because I'm alcoholic and I know, I, know, I know what alcoholic thinking. We're very alike, all of us, the way we do this. And thus started, he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside. He didn't see the consequences. Strange mental blank spot. They call it plain insanity. About six, ten lines down, they say curious mental phenomenon. I think they're trying to tell us something here. They keep on. How many times have they told us already that we're insane? <laughs> you see, once they say something twice, they're saying it very loudly. If they say something three times, they're yelling at us. If it's repeated again and again and again, we have got to hear this. Mm. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind or her mind, rather. Than, and if you see he, change it to she if you're if you're if you're a female. 
because this book is written for all of us. Curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning. They're inevitably ran an insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. It sounds like there might be two of us here. <laughs> parallel. There's two thoughts here. Parallel. One's going, drink. The other one's going, oh, I can't. Drink. <laughs> Parallel. He said, I, I thought that I may not be being too smart when you picked up a drink. Parallel thinking. But if we're untreated, then what happens is that the, the, the insane idea always wins out. The next guy, the next guy we got is absurd, incomprehensible, jaywalker. This is the parallel. Para, this is the parable of the jaywalker. I think what it's here for is to show us how goofy we look to ordinary people. Mm-hmm. Because I look at this guy and I think, first of all, when I first read it. This guy's nuts. I mean, I wouldn't do it. Would you run out in front of a fire engine if you've been hit time after time after time? You've ended up time in hospital. Would you run out in front of a fire engine? And then I got it. Yeah, I would. Because I like the buzz. I'm a thrill seeker, you see. I like that kind of excitement. Oh, yeah. You know, I can remember how excited I used to, I used to get when I was thinking about Oh yeah, it's going to be a party tonight. I'm going to get lots of alcohol and all that. I get excited. And this guy's a thrill seeker. And I, 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 I used to, I, I surfed, I ride, ride motorcycles, uh, I sail boats, I sail sailing boats, I race sailing boats. Those are adrenaline sports. I understand the jaywalk. But I think it's a state of mind. He's a thrill seeker. And then we got Fred. <laughs> My buddy Fred. Now, I think Fred, the story of Fred is really interesting. Because the story of Fred, if you read it, he ends up in hospital. He says, oh, I'm only here for my nerves. <laughs> I'm just here for my nerves. You know, it's not really very serious. The doctor said, oh, no, I think you're serious because you've just suffered delirium tremens. Because he said he was jittery, right? He's coming to Boston because he suffered. You only suffer delirium tremens if you if you have drunk for a very long time. I stopped drinking and I had delirium tremens. I, I shook it out at home, and I was chased around. I had 40, it came right on time, 48, 48 to seventy-two hours after I quit drinking. I was being chased around the house by all sorts of stuff. Nasty. I had bad trips, so that was really that was really nasty. Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic. Okay, so what they did, they told him what they knew about alcoholism, allergy, mental obsession. And, and, and he said, no, 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 no. I, I, what I know now, now I'll watch for that. So off he goes. Now it says, what I find really, really interesting was that on page 41 it says, um, I'd been out of town before on this particular drive, so nothing new about that. Physically, I felt fine. 
You ain't got to resist. He, physically, he's great. <laughs> Neither do I have any problem, pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. Success. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. Does this guy sound like he's on page 52? Does he sound like he's got any bedevilments going on here? It was the end of a perfect day. Not a cloud in the horizon. He went to his hotel, leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came, there it is, a couple, not one, <laughs> a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. There it is. Now, I think what they've done in that chapter is they've told us about four or five different states of mind that lead to the first drink. I think they've pretty much covered it. Yeah. Almost every state of mind that we can have as an alcoholic, from being resentful to being upset to being not a cloud on the horizon, yet we are drinking. This is not causal. This is an insanity. <laughs> I'm not drinking because... The only reason why I'm drinking is because I'm an alcoholic. Not because of anything outside. I can justify it by saying something on the outside, but there's nothing on the outside. I'm drinking because I'm an alcoholic, and I believe that's what this chapter says. Yeah. I believe that this chapter is telling us that no matter what our state of mind is, if we're alcoholic, we're drinking. I was drinking when I was happy, I was drinking when I was sad, I was drinking when I had money, I was drinking when I had no money, I was drinking when I was in a good relationship, I was drinking when I was in a bad relationship. You know, uh, if I'm an alcoholic, I, I drink because I'm an alcoholic. It doesn't matter. And it, it shows so well in these examples uh, that it doesn't matter what mental stage you are in. You don't have the defense against the first drink. And that is what, what Bill is trying to explain for us. And uh, it's on page 43, he says, once more, <laughs> he's really trying to convince us here. From, from, the, from, the, from the chapter, there is a solution to this place, page 43. They tell us about seven times that we cannot, we cannot make the decision not to drink. And here it is, once more, just in case you haven't got it yet. Yes. The alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Another little word, must. Must come from a higher power. And... And it's mentioned already, already here. You know, that I have a mind that I cannot trust. I cannot trust my own thinking. And I cannot change my own thinking with my own thinking. That is impossible. 
I've been thinking the same way year after year, day after day. I cannot change my own thinking with my own thinking. That is impossible. That's why I need God. I need a power greater than myself that can change my thinking. I cannot. I have a mental illness with my thinking. That's what mental illness is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) My thinking. Yeah. And do you know the thing about mental illness is? Some of my, so one of my protégés came up to me one time and said, I think I'm going crazy. And I said, absolutely not. And he said, how do you know? I said, because you think you're going crazy. I said, people who are going crazy don't think they're going crazy. <laughs> they know they're Napoleon. <laughs> See, there's a difference. Subtle, but it's different. Yes. When I'm in the delusion of alcoholism, I think I'm okay especially if I have a couple of drinks. And it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter about the bedevilments. Once I have a couple of drinks, I get that sense of ease and comfort. I don't care what's going on. Or I can cope with what's going on or appear to get out of cope with what's going on. Yeah. A woman in Canada said a good thing. It's some, there is something worse than drowning, and that is drowning without knowing I am drowning. <laughs> And that's how we are when we come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. That we're drowning, but we don't know we're drowning. You see, what we suffer from is a lot more serious than we think we, what we suffer from. What we suffer from is a mental condition that will take us back to a drink unless, unless we have an entire psychic change, the way that we think and approach life. These 12 steps are designed to bring about that and they are very, very interesting, which we will see. Okay, we need to take a we need to take a fifteen minute break. We're going to come back and we're going to start looking at how we get out of this place that our mind will always take us back to a drink, always untreated. Okay, and that is what powerless means. Yeah, powerless. I am powerless over alcohol when it's in me allergy when it's not in me mental obsession I am powerless over alcohol first half the first step what about the unmanageability oh we get to that thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed the podcast Sobercast is ad free and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way so if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.